Well, I turn in the Bibles over to First Kings chapter 15. We're only going to take on the life of Abijah or Abijam, depending upon which book you look at. He has uh, both names recorded. We'll go over each of those. We're going to save King Asa for another time. There is a lot of material on King Asa. I was resisting the temptation to go back and forth between Chronicles and Kings so that we could get the King's perspective. But when we get to this guy, he is um, not really talked about a whole lot in the book of Kings. Talked about a little bit more in the book of Chronicles. And so to really get an idea of what he was about, we needed to go into both. And uh, Asa is pretty much the same way. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. Now here in Abijam is called Abijam in Kings. It's not a typo. It's recorded five different times. In Chronicles, he's called Abijah. A bit of a difference between it. Abijah means my father is Lord or Yahweh is father. We take the Jah from the name of God. Abijam, we drop off the Jah sound. My father is sea or father of the sea. There are some other uh, thoughts as to what... What his, uh, that his name may have been changed to something even different from that. But um, I don't know Hebrew well enough to describe it all to you, so we'll just stay with the two that are, that are there. Uh, no real explanation for this. I don't know. It's, it's not like they uh, just typoed it, but in, in Kings, you have a look of, of Abijam that he is not very God-fearing. But in Chronicles, you get a little bit of a different picture. And so maybe that's why we kept his name Abijah over there. Um, don't really know what that is. We've seen it a number of times where kings are referred to by two different names. But he reigns only three years. That pretty much tells us he wasn't on the good side. Of course, there are some bad kings that lasted a long time. But he uh, only lasted three years. He took over in the 18th year of Jeroboam says his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. Now his mother, get an idea of where he was, he was from. If we went over to Second Chronicles in chapter 11, verse 18. Then Rehoboam took for himself as wife Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and of Abihail, the daughter of Eliah, the son of Jesse. And she bore him children, Jeush, Shemaiah, and Zaham. After her, he took Makkah, the granddaughter of Absalom, and she bore him Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shalosmith. Now Rehoboam loved Makkah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his wives and his concubines. 
So his wife comes from the family of David, granddaughter of Absalom. I have no idea what that puts you on, second cousin, third cousin, fourth. I, just, I don't know. But it's uh, somewhere in the family anyway, that, that it, which is uh, very often done uh, the case for, for these folks. Now Rehoboam, he, he loved his, her a lot more than all his other wives and his concubines. He took 18 wives and 60 concubines. That was Rehoboam. Now it's cut down quite a bit from his dad. Maybe because he didn't have as much money as his dad. Might be part of it, but um, 18 wives and 60 concubines. And he had 28 sons and 60 daughters. <clears throat> so apparently daughters were more prevalent in his family than, than the sons were. But out of the 28, he's got to pick one of them to be king. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Maka as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. Now, he's not the oldest, because we have other ones that he married before, and he had other sons there. But he dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city, and he gave them provisions in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. So it's not enough that he had a bunch of wives. He wanted a bunch of wives for for each of those as well, because, you know, we're kings and princes and we just should have a lot of wives I guess but let's go over here to Second Chronicles chapter 13 so his mother and father are both of the house of Judah so at least we know you know he hasn't gone outside as it was done before going outside of the kingdom in the 18th year of King Jeroboam Abijah became king over Judah he reigned three years in Jerusalem his mother's name was Micaiah, that's spelled a little bit differently here, the daughter of Uriah of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle, formatted against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. So 400,000 against 800,000. It would seem, as the story unfolds here, it seems that Jeroboam is the aggressor. I don't think you'd be aggressive with 400,000 against 800,000 just in the natural. It would seem that there are more on the defensive side. But uh, in the next chapter, we're going to uh, next uh, uh, actually in yeah, next chapter here in Chronicles, we're going to see that Asa will have an army of 580,000. So somehow the army gets considerably bigger. So he's uh, going to get up and he's going to talk to him. It sounds like he's trying to talk these folks out of going to battle. So that would kind of tend to our, or lend our thought to the fact that he is not the aggressor here. But take a look at his reasonings. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zamerim in the mountains of Ephraim. It's in the northern tribes. And he said, Hear me, Jeroboam and all Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt? Now what is a covenant of salt? Well, if you go over to Numbers chapter 18, verse 19, we have it again. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. So don't think that Abijah is just coming up with his own term for covenant and throwing it in there because he's not real loyal to God or anything. It, apparently it's in the Bible. We may not be as familiar with it, but salt was a... Was a Scarce and precious and used in every sacrifice. Now, Dakes is one who calls it scarce and precious. I don't think it was during Solomon's day. 
I think they had a whole lot of the stuff because they had pretty much everything and people brought spices and all. But um, Numbers was written when they were in the wilderness. So when they were in the wilderness, probably salt was a lot scarcer. Didn't have as much of it. So that's why I put in parentheses, at least in the wilderness days, salt was uh, scarce and precious. But they had to use it in every sacrifice. In Leviticus 2.13, In every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. <clears throat> so when he talks about a covenant of salt, this is what he's referring to. This is what he refers back to. We don't have all the ins and outs about it. But it seems that you know, there's a covenant of blood, there's a covenant of salt. Somehow the salt that is involved in all the sacrifices, and so they, they call, it, uh, call it a covenant of salt. So he's not coming up here with anything new. Not, a new, not adding a new part to their religion. Uh, verse 6, Yet Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, the, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. So he talks about the rebellion of Jeroboam <clears throat> against Solomon. Notice he does not mention that Solomon rebelled against God. Leaves that part out. Leaves out about him going after idols and all sorts of things like this. We don't, uh, we don't have to mention that. So his argument so far is that first off, God gave Israel, all Israel, to David. That was from God. We have a covenant of salt for that, he calls it. Uh, Jeroboam was a rebel. He rebelled against the, this, this covenant and he um, took the northern tribes with him against Solomon and against David. <clears throat> Leaving out again the prophecy that Jeroboam had that God had decided to, to do this. But, um, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting how people, when they have a certain point of view, you leave out details that cloud things. We don't need to bring that up. We can just let that go. Then worthless rogues. I wonder how he knew they were worthless rogues. Well, they didn't agree with him. So they're worthless. Gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when, Sol when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. Now, Rehoboam had just taken the throne. And the guy who has the throne for three years calls him young and inexperienced. But he has it for a total of three years. So at this point, he hasn't had it three years. Six months, a year. He's, he's not had it all that long. But he's had it long enough to have this battle come up. And then after this battle, we're going to see that the Word of God says that he grew stronger and Jeroboam grew weaker. But he took the throne in the 18th year of Jeroboam. Jeroboam dies in his 22nd year. He's said to reign for three years. 18 to 22 is four. Jeroboam dies before Abijah dies. So how does that happen? Well, it made sense to the guys who were writing it. But just simply say this, they didn't count half years a whole, uh, all that often. So you were in the 18th year. You might be in the 18th year and 10th month, but you're still in the 18th year. And you may die in your 22nd year the first month, but you're still in your 22nd year. So it can be something just along those, those kind of lines, and you can certainly come to uh, a three-year time frame in, in that. But, but anyway, that's not really one of the more important aspects of this uh, these chapters, but in case you're, you're counting years. So he calls Rehoboam young and inexperienced, and he could not withstand them. Well, he was a fool, and he answered him as a fool, and that's why he lost them. But we leave that part out. So the idea is to build Rehoboam up and the other people down. Um, don't really have to do that, just say history the way it was.
Uh, verse 8, And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David. And you are a great multitude. And with you are gold calves, which Jeroboam made for you as gods. So he calls them a great multitude, but you got with you golden calves, idols. Jeroboam made them for you. We are the kingdom of God. You have golden calves. You see the comparison? We're with God. You got golden calves. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, and made for yourselves priests like the priests of other lands, so that whoever comes to concentrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of things that are not God? So that's apparently what you had to do if you wanted to become a priest. Cost you a young bull and seven rams. Bring those on in, sacrifice them, you can be a priest. And, and so he's saying, look, you don't have the priests of the Lord. You don't have the Levites. The, the sons of Aaron are not the high priests. The Levites are not the ones that are carrying on the priestly duties. You made for yourself priests, anyone that you wanted to. Just like all the other people in other lands, but not like God said to do. Does this sound like a man who is not loyal to God? It does not, does it? Hmm. Now, just remember this. We have kind of tainted history. We've tainted Rehoboam. We've tainted Jeroboam. We've tainted that whole period to make it look good for, for uh, Judah. He may also have tainted a few other things. It is very possible. So he points out their idolatry, the golden calves, and they cast out the priests of the Lord. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. That's pretty bold. But as for us, he's saying this from a high mountain, shouting out there. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron. <coughs> and the Levites attended our duties. And they burned to the Lord every morning, and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure gold table and the lampstands of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now remember, Shishak, king of Egypt, came through and took all the gold. So either they've replaced it, or we're just shading that a little bit. I don't, I don't know what it is. It takes a lot of gold to do all that stuff that they, they have there, and all their gold was taken. Now look, God himself is with us as our head. And his priests with sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you, O children of Israel. Do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. So he warns them. If you come against us, you will come against God. Don't do it. So he's telling them, don't do it. This is why it does not sound like he's the aggressor. It sounds like he's trying to put the brakes on this thing. Don't go to war here. Of course, he's got 400,000. They got 800,000. That might have something to do with it. But he does say, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. So he's telling them before the battle starts, if you come against us, you won't win. I'll tell you what, that's, that's a guy who's pretty bold for God. He stood up and said, we worship God. We have the priests. We do the, the offerings the way that the word of God tells us to do the offerings. He is our God. We haven't forsaken him. This is, this is a pretty good speech right here. So they're listening to this, and you might think, he might be thinking, you know, maybe I'm getting somewhere. They're listening to me. They haven't shut me down. They're listening to me. But he's not getting anywhere with them at all. He's not, not at all. They're, they're, they're listening to him just enough time to buy into the, this plan that they've got. And that's, they've got another plan working. Y'all stand there and let them talk. While he talks, we're sending people around behind him. We're going to have an ambush. 
So if he's got 800,000, I don't know, I'm just pulling numbers out of a hat here. He could keep 400,000 in front and send 400,000 around back. He may keep 600,000 in the front and send 200,000 around. We don't know what the numbers were, but <clears throat> he sent some people around back so that they had them on both sides. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them so they were in front of Judah and the ambush was behind them. <clears throat> and when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear. And they cried out to the Lord and the priests sounded the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijam and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. Then Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter, so 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Out of 800,000, you lost 500. That is a lot. That's over half of the people who went out to battle did not come back. Now, it said God struck them, whether God did something in, in there, and the, the men of Israel, we've seen God fight for them before. He did warn them. He did say, don't do it. And they came out there and did it anyway. Now, they shouted unto God, but it seems like they don't shout as a, uh, they're not in panic. They apparently shouted unto God and says, hey, they're trying to surround us. And, and, and God heard them. God doesn't like complainers. They're not shouting to complain. They shouted, they blew the trumpets. The trumpets mean let's go to war. They weren't running from this thing. They said, all right, we're stuck in an ambush. God, you're here. You're going to help us. They cried out to the Lord. They didn't rely on their own strength. They cried out to this. There's a lot of good things in this passage, a lot of good things that they're doing. Thus, the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of, of uh, Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him. Bethel with its villages, Jeshana with its villages, and Ephraim with its villages. Now here's what's interesting. One of the golden calves is set up where? One in Dan and the other in Bethel. They took Bethel. The prophecy came that someone born in the house of David, Josiah by name, would come to Bethel and desecrate this altar. And now in Jeroboam's lifetime, they just lost the city. I couldn't find any mention of whether they lost the golden calf. Did they move the golden calf out of the city and put it someplace else? And then down the road, take the city back again and move it back in? I didn't find anything about what happened to the golden calf there. But it's going to be desecrated by Josiah, so it seems like it must have been preserved. I can't imagine it being in Bethel and Israel allowing it to stand. So my guess is that they took it out. Set it up someplace else and, and waited. But uh, apparently they took, they took Bethel. They took some cities. So they not only lost people, they lost some, some cities and their villages. But uh, verse 18 says that they won the battle because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. So the word of God right there is telling you it wasn't all for show. They relied on God. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him. Bethel with his villages. Well, we already read that part of it, but they relied on the Lord their God. It's, it's how the author wrote about it. It's not somebody in there. Not, it's not Abijah changing the history or changing what, what had gone on. 
Verse 20, So Jeroboam did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him and he died. Jeroboam's all done. We'll get more of the story of, of that later on. But he does not recover and he soon will pass away. But we'll save his story for another time. But Abijah grew mighty, married 14 wives, begot 22 sons and 16 daughters. The thing that we are not seeing with Abijah is I don't see any concubines. Seems like he had 14 wives, married them all, 22 sons, 16 daughters. Now, really, when you think about it, you have 14 wives. That's what? 38 kids? That's, that's, that's not astronomical. It is for one man to have that many, but he's <clears throat> got 14 wives to have them. So I guess, what's that, three, a little bit more than three apiece? Hmm. But it said that he grew mighty, and he married 14 wives. We don't know how many he lost in the battle. It doesn't give us a number on that. But as we said, in, uh, in just a few years, Asa's going to have 580 from the 400,000 that he's got. That's 180,000 you just added to your army. That's almost 50%, which is a good increase. And we're, I can't really tell you where all the, the extra folks came from. Now, the rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings are written in the annals of the prophet Ido. How many of y'all know the prophet Ido? Ido, Ido, yeah. He's uh, apparently mentioned a few times in the Bible. So I wrote, uh, I copied some things about it just from the history of this. They say, although little is known, he appears only in the book of Chronicles. He seems to have been rather prolific in his day with his prophecies concerning the revival of Jeroboam I of Israel, recorded in the lost book of, of visions, uh, in Second Chronicles 9.29, that's recorded. He also composed a history of King Rehoboam, known as the words of Shemaiah the prophet and Ido the, the cedar, the seer, and of his son King, that's in Second uh, Chronicles 12.15, and of his son King Abijah in uh, Chronicles 13.22, which we just read. Some such as Rashi identify him as with the unidentified man of God from 1 Kings 13 that we just took a look at not too long ago on, on Sunday. I'll tell you why that's wrong. Um, on, a, uh, on account of his prophecies against Jeroboam, he's been identified by Josephus and Jerome with the prophet who denounced the altar of Jeroboam and who was afterward killed by a lion. It's 1 Kings 13, same one. And Jerome identifies him also with Od Oded of Second Chronicles 15.8. Now, he cannot be the man of God of Kings 13 because the man of God of Kings 13 dies before Jeroboam. And this guy is still around for uh, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, Ahijah, uh, uh, and it seems like even part of Asa's life. So there's no way that he could be around for Asa and have been that, that particular prophet. So it seemed that, that he is not. He does have a lot of recordings, he, uh, a lot of writings that he did. He is very well known in the day, but apparently nothing that we get from the, uh, in the Bible about him as far as his, his writings or his prophecies. So here's a guy who apparently is very well known, but we don't have a whole lot on him. So how many other people are there like him? 
in that day that are or, you know, pronouncing the sin that people are involved with, and they just didn't get mentioned. In Second uh, Chronicles 12:15, we'll read that one for you. The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shemaiah the prophet and of Ido the, the seer concerning genealogies? And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. Wasn't supposed to be, but there, there was. So the accountant kings paints a bad picture. We have Abijam. God has taken out of his name. And they may have done that because they saw him as a bad king and they didn't want to have God in his name. And they just took it out. But Chronicles has a different picture that we paint of him. And we keep God in his name. So why is it? Well, what we, what we have here is it seems to be a man with a lot of zeal to do the things of God. He has a lot of zeal to do the things of God. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ who have a lot of zeal to work for God. A lot of interest to be busy at doing what God says to do. We'll find other, other people like this in the, in the Word of God as well. If you go over to uh, Jesus' day, you have Pharisees, you have uh, Sadducees. They're very zealous for doing the work of God. But they're missing some things. But they're always about the temple, always about doing their, their duties as a Pharisee or as a scribe or, or, or so forth. But Jesus is not impressed with them. Jesus doesn't see them as, as helping anybody out or doing anything good. And it seems to be the same kind of picture that we get for this guy. He's, he's in the temple. He's apparently serving God. He um, is mindful of the things of God. He knows all the right things to do. He can preach a good sermon. He's zealous for the things of God, but he lacks the needed sincerity that God desires and so is called not loyal. He lacks the needed sincerity. In the life of Abijah, the thing we can probably take from this is we cannot just be zealous for good works for God. We have to have that relationship. We have to have that personal time with him. We have to know who he is. It's more important that God knows us than for us to know about God. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Now, it doesn't mean that God is not aware of us. God is aware of everybody. He's got all the hairs counted. He does all that sort of stuff. We all know all that. He's aware of every single one of us. But God needs to know us. The only way he's going to know us and we're going to know him is if we spend time with him. We cannot just be zealous for the work of God. We have to be sincere in our relationship with God. That's the most important thing that we have. It seems that this is an example here of someone who's very zealous for the things of God but lacked any foundation, lacked any real relationship with God at all. And so in one place... God just doesn't spend a whole lot of time even talking about him. And just says, his heart's not loyal. He carried on the sins of his fathers. His heart was not loyal to God. In another place, we, we see some interesting things. Coming out of a battle. I mean, most people who came out of a battle, being outnumbered two to one, we put up as heroes. We look at them and say, wow, they went into this battle. They pronounced the things of God. 
that declared, we'll win this because God's on our side, that's the person of faith. But apparently, not so. Three years he reigned. And then he goes away. Now, here's what's interesting. His son Asa is one of the good kings. One of the very good kings. Has a bad ending. But he's one of the good kings. And look at it. His father raised him. And God says his heart wasn't loyal. But somehow Asa was able to develop a more of a loyal heart. Even though his father didn't demonstrate it to him. He was able to do some things. But in Abijah we learned this. Make sure you have the sincerity. Make sure that you know who your God is. Study his word. Go after him. Don't just copy the things that other people do. Don't just get your vocabulary changed and learn all the right things. But have that relationship. That's the most important thing that we have. Because church is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Father. Come to church to worship him, to learn about him, to enter into a, a relationship with him. And every day we're, we're learning more. It doesn't mean you have to have perfect knowledge of everything about God. It means that every day we grow. Every day we, we learn more. We get more to, to know. When, when the little kids are real young, they know their parents. They know their parents' voice. They don't know everything about their parents. They don't know all their history. But every day they learn a little bit more. They learn the sound of their voice. They have comfort when they're being held by them. And as they grow, they, they learn more about their parents. They learn more about what the parents like and dislike. But when they're little, they are known by their parents and they know their parents. doesn't matter how long we have been with God. We can still have that sincerity. And that apparently is what impresses God. God's not impressed with how much knowledge we have. He's impressed with our sincerity. It's always good to grow in the things of God and the knowledge of God. And Abijah had some knowledge. Some of it a little bit warped. Some of it he tainted for his own purpose. Whether he did it on purpose or that's how he was taught. You know, it could be that's what his dad said. That scoundrel, he got a bunch of scoundrels around him and he rebelled. He was, he was evil. <laughs> that may be all that he heard. We don't, we don't know. Maybe he changed himself. Maybe it was changed for him. But sincerity is the most important thing we can have. Be sincere with God. Keep that part strong. We can have a better recording of our history here on earth. Better than Abijah. Maybe more like David. More like Asa. More like some, some other ones. And we'll see next time we take this up. We won't be here next week. <clears throat> but the, I guess the, the week after that we'll probably be be back but we'll compare him with Asa some of the things that have gone on with his life but again we'll be in Chronicles more for, for Asa Kings doesn't cover a whole lot it covers a little bit of it so well, it looks like we're going to be bouncing back and forth between the, the two books to get all the, all the detail Father we thank you that we don't have to impress you with knowledge we don't have to impress you with great acts we don't have to impress you with anything at all we just need to be sincere in our relationship Sincere in our worship, sincere in our pursuit of our understanding of the things of God. That's such an important quality for you. And we see it here with Abijah. Help us, Father, to grow in that sincerity. 
every single day and to never lose never lose that from our life in the name of Jesus we pray amen